who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. You're listening to The Pocket and the Pendant by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Michael and Evo's Dragon Page and Podiobooks.com. The full book is available in patio book format at patiobooks.com. The full print version is available at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, lulu.com, or from the book's website and blog at www.pocketandpendant.com. Thirteen, the tyranny of the page. Howl of terror from Sasha, blood-curdling scream from Ian. Fear splattered down Max's spine. His stomach was suddenly a gush of wet dread. Siren was just standing there in the chamber. But that wasn't the worst part. Oh no, not at all. Siren had one arm locked around Casey. She was whimpering and sagging with despair and with the other hand, he held a gentleman's stylized dagger at her throat. Somehow, Siren had snuck into the room while they had been distracted with Enki and grabbed Casey. Already, the point of his blade had pierced her flesh, and a single thin line of blood drizzled down her neck. Siren wore a look of mad glee on his cracked and mottled face, his eyebrows arching insanely. And now, finally... Life eternal is mine. Come now, Max. Don't make this difficult. Give me the pendant. Casey was making little gurgling noises now. Max was electrified, rooted frozen to the spot, while white-hot terror coursed through his veins. His fingers tightened involuntarily around the pendant's chain. Sarin! How? Ian choked. Did I find you? Siren chuckled like a ghoul. Ah, that was easy. Little Miss Foy over there. Her slave glyph, the one burned into her hand. How else do you think the gods keep an eye on the black-headed ones? That seemed to spark Casey out of her panic. Her eyes popped alive and smoldered. I told you she was bad news, Casey howled, squirming in Siren's grasp. 
Oh my god! What did I say? Siren laughed, enjoying her anger. I also have Miss Foi to thank for these. Siren held up his other wrist, Sasha's bracelet. Max's stomach dropped from under him. Sasha was here because he had defended her over Casey's protests. It had been his decision to bring her along, and now Siren was here directly because of this decision. Even the pendant was in his hands right now because he had chosen to accept it over the protestations of Casey. Sasha was shaking her head in horror. She hadn't meant for this to happen, but Siren wasn't finished gloating yet. I knew Enki would reveal to Max where he had hidden the pendant, but first I had to make sure Max actually found Enki. From there, it was a simple matter. I would just follow Max to the pendant and take it from him by force. But incompetent, moronic dolts that you all are, Max had no luck getting to Mr. E on his own, and I was running out of time. Jadith was growing impatient. I couldn't wait any longer. So I actually helped you, miserable little cretins, along. I let Sasha overhear me explain how to find Enki. I spelled it out in painful detail. Several times, right in front of her, just so it all sank in to that dull little sparkler she misnames her brain. Then I let Ace and Sasha see that I had captured you. That's why they were there when I tried to use the singular eye on you, Max. Afterwards, I left Ace and Sasha conveniently unguarded, and sure enough, they made a beeline right for you three. After stealing my book. Which I made ridiculously available for them to pilfer. Of course, I had no idea Ace would be the one killed in the book instead of Ian. That was a surprise, to be sure. But no matter, my purpose was accomplished. Now, time is running short, and time is the killer, always the killer. The pendant, or、oh, little Miss Casey here dies. Max was completely despondent. This was his fault. Casey had tried to warn him multiple times. Now, as a result of his refusal to listen to her, Siren literally had a knife to her throat. It was too much. Max sighed and took a step towards Siren. His mouth opened to form words to say something along the lines of, "Okay, okay. If you let her go, I'll give it to you. Just please, please don't hurt her." His hand with the pendant even started extending involuntarily, but then there was movement out of the corner of his eye, something in his peripheral vision. He turned his head. It was the arch showing New York. There was another Max Quick in the arch, and with him was a small girl who looked an awful lot like Casey. This doppelganger Max was dressed in a button-down shirt and overalls and wore a smart little cap on his head. The girl wore a dirty sundress and muddy boots. They were both waving and smiling, standing in front of a backdrop of horses and carriages clip-clopping along in the street behind them. "Hello there," the other Max said. "Mr. E sends his regards." The arch rippled and blurred somewhat, then solidified again like temporal static. He told us to be here right now. He said there was someone on your side who needed some help. Of course, I almost fell over when he told me who it was. But Petunia and I—we always do as he says, and so here we are. Petunia, Max's brain howled. He recognized her now, like the memory of a dream. It was her, 
this little girl was the same person as the little old lady in the bookstore back in Starland. We got a present for you. Get ready, here it comes. Oh, and somebody on your end should put a knife on him soon as he's through, of course. Ian didn't ask questions. He had his cert blade out immediately an inch closer on the balls of his feet. While he did so, Max and Petunia pulled some kind of cart covered with a blanket into view. Heave, Max grunted, and together he and Petunia pushed the cart through. It rolled through the arch. There was a kind of crackling, and then it arrived in the chamber. The blanket fell off. They all gasped. Laying unconscious in a Food Universe shopping cart was another Jonathan Roseblood Ceranus. He was dressed in a red cloak and top hat, exactly as Max remembered from his vision back at the museum. Where had his past self and Petunia gotten a Food Universe shopping cart? But Max didn't have time to ponder the implications of this, and Ian didn't question it. He pounced. He slipped his surplate against this past Ceranus's throat. But this siren was out cold. He was even snoring. The green fairies got our rose blood, the Max in the Arch laughed. Petunia and I spiked his rum with absinthe. You know, a little dandelion smash. <laughs> It'll be down for hours and hours. So, we've done our bit, just like we were asked. And now we have to go while the coast is clear. You all have fun with him. He'll have a hell of a splitter when he wakes. With that, Max and Petunia scampered away out of view of the Arch. Max suddenly understood. This was a siren from a past time. If he were to be killed, the present siren would presumably cease to exist. His past self, with the help of Enki, had had this past siren delivered here, now, so that they could use him against the present siren holding a knife at Casey's throat. Well, this was interesting. Max looked at Siren with a new confidence. Even he had to be worried about this. Let it go, Siren. Ian held up the snoozing head of past Ceranus by the hair and tilted it back and held his blade against the white skin to emphasize just how easily he could slit his throat. Ian suddenly squinted closer at past Ceranus's pockmarked face with an expression of astonishment. Bloody hell, Siren! Were you always this ugly? Siren didn't move. I'm serious, Siren, Ian almost whispered. I'll do it. After all that time in the seps, I have no problem doing it. But Siren was curiously unperturbed. And then he threw his head back and even laughed. Oh, I know you'd do it. I have no doubt of that, little Ian. You certainly hate me enough, especially after your narrow run-in with the wolves. But the tyranny of the page has you once again. For if you kill this past version of me, it is true that you may cause me to cease to exist. But you will not save Casey. Oh no, Ian spat. We'll see about that. And he dug his blade into the past siren's neck just a little bit to show that he meant it. But he's telling the truth, Casey suddenly gasped. If you kill him, you'll kill me too. Max and Ian exchanged completely baffled glances. Kill her too? Why? Yes, Siren encouraged her. Tell them, Casey. For little Miss Cole is not little Miss Cole at all. She is little Miss Saranis, if the truth be told. Casey Saranis is my daughter. Max's head spun. Casey was Siren's daughter? 
My father left my mommy and me when I was very little. Oh no. The puzzle pieces snicked neatly into place. We'll have to catch up later on, you and I. With a jolt, Max suddenly remembered the first time he met Casey. My dad doesn't live here. He's gone. In fact, I've never actually met him, but my mommy has shown me pictures. Then there was the first time Casey had gotten a good look at Siren. It was when they were hiding in the house in Texas. She was whispering to herself, almost manically now, saying, No, 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 it can't be. Please, no. She hadn't known her father's name, but as soon as she caught a glimpse of him, she knew. Jonathan Roseblood Serranus, Johnny Siren, was her father. It certainly explained why she got weird whenever he was around, and why he had such an effect on her. If they killed this past Serranus, he would never live to become Casey's father. Thus, they couldn't kill him without killing her as well. Max was puzzled. But then why had his past self in Petunia gone to all this trouble to deliver past Serranus, only to have the effort go to waste? Enki must have made a mistake. Something in his plan had already gone horribly, horribly wrong. Even so, Max realized he had one last card to play. But I don't give the pendant to you, Siren, Max said. The tyranny of the page and all that, you know, your favorite refrain. Or didn't you bother to read all the word magic on the wall? Siren twitched for a moment. Fear skittered across his eyes. What? His mouth worded. It says I give the pendant to Jadith, not to you. No, Siren said, disbelieving. That can't be. She's frozen. I made sure of it. She doesn't have a bracelet. It's true, Casey sobbed at Siren. It's true. He does. We saw it. Casey's palpable despair hit home with Siren. He suddenly knew she was telling the truth, that she couldn't possibly be faking this. Then, Max's intuition jumping, he said, And you didn't know Jadith would follow you here, did you? Now Siren was clearly nervous. She must have some safeguard against something like these bracelets happening to her. She's coming, I promise you. Max drove the nail home. You're her slave, Siren. Doing her bidding. Run here, run there. Get the pendant. That's all you are to her. That's all you ever were. Well said, child. Well said, indeed, said a woman's voice behind Siren. This one could not have said it better. Jadith. She was adorned in her regal best, a black and purple gown with a white collar that jutted up around her head like a shark fin, and although her voice was measured and collected, her eyes were wet with madness. She was followed closely by Philemon. He wore his usual cherubic, blissful smile, but his eyes darted studiously over the children as though they might be poisonous vipers. And Siren turned even whiter than he already was, if that was possible. From behind Jadith and Philemon, a horde of centurions suddenly poured into the chamber like stormtroopers. The sound of their gold-clad feet shuffling against the stone was everywhere at once. They fanned out, only momentarily surprised by the gravity shifts, and then filed into every nook and cranny of the chamber. They took up positions in front of the arches, blocking anyone from entering or exiting through them. There was Mafthet leering at them. He caught Max's gaze and mimicked clapping his hands together and pointed at the foursome. He entered the chamber. 
Evidently, Jay the Centurions had found and freed him. His hungry eyes came to rest on Ian like a promise of vengeance. Then Jadith turned to Siren. Thou thoughtest thou could fool us, that thou wouldst claim the pendant first and then ransom it for the prize of Gilgamesh for life eternal. This one is disappointed. Jadith's face was a frown of injured sadness. We have many Umphalos, some which you know of, some which you do not. We are not so blithely led astray. Yet, Jonathan Roseblood Soranus, despite all of this, thou hast at last fulfilled thy part of the bargain, and we gave our word and bond, which cannot be recalled. Thus, the prize we denied Gilgamesh, the food of life eternal, shall indeed be thine. Siren's eyes lit up with what could only be described as pure joy. Lord Siren, Philemon hissed. These must be the children you spoke of. Siren nodded quickly, still stunned that after hundreds of years, he had achieved his aim at last. Yes, yes, he stuttered. They are. Three are human, but one is Nuberian. That one. Siren pointed to Max, finger shaking with joy. Right there. The one holding the pendant. His name is Max. Jadith smiled and approached Max, bending to meet his gaze like he was an adorable puppy. Max, she mused, her face twisted into a scowl. An odd name for a god. Max's eyes narrowed. I'm not a god, and neither are you. The smile died on Jadith's face, and she stood and backed away. Well, thou art an insolent brat, God or no. Jadis' eyes gushed with black ink and seemed curiously reptilian all of a sudden. Philemon sensed the change and positioned himself closer to her in case she did something rash and endangered the pendant. Thou wilt need to be taught a lesson in manners. But Philemon was already in her ear, talking fast. It apparently worked, because Jadith was instantly calm again, as though she were now a completely different person. Come now, little Max, she said sweetly. Thou art one of us. We are thy true people, not these talking animals. These, she swept her hand to indicate Ian, Sasha, and Casey, these are our slaves. As Max was weighing his options, a thought occurred to him. Why hadn't Jadith already ordered her centurions to wrestle him to the ground and taken the pendant from him by force? After all, he had no pocket powers in here. He was just an ordinary little kid. Then he suddenly knew why. She was afraid he would use the pendant on her. Jadith continued to smile and sweet-talk him. Thou art one of us, Max. Thou art so much greater, so much more. Thou hast spent too much time confused, lost for so long amongst the black-headed ones, that thou hast never known what thou could be. Thou hast no idea of thy true potential. Thine own people have traveled far and searched long to recover the pendant, to set matters right on this world and on Nibaru itself. But now Jadith was laughing lightheartedly. <laughs> but there is a weightier matter between us. A matter of words written upon a wall. Thou hast seen for thyself what happens here in this chamber. What has to happen? 
thou wilt give the pendant to me. So why dost thou delay? Give the pendant to me. This was the moment. If he were a sleeper agent of some kind, if Ian was right, then this was when his true submerged personality would reassert itself right now. Max searched his mind, waiting for it to happen. But he felt nothing, nothing at all. Max breathed a sigh of relief. No, Jadith, he replied. I won't. Jadith stared at him for a moment, baffled, as if she simply couldn't believe that he had refused her when it was so obvious that he had no choice. Then Philemon whispered in her ear and she smiled. <laughs> but perhaps thou will not. But what of thy friend, Casey? She turned her gaze on Casey Cole. Me? Casey wheezed, caught off guard. All eyes in the room turned towards her. Leave her alone, Max growled. What in the world did Jadith want with Casey? But Jadith ignored him. Jadith stooped and gently removed Siren's dagger from her throat like a rescuing angel. Siren complied with a mixture of fear and apprehension. Jadith helped Casey to her feet and gently smoothed out her rumpled hair, picking a few leaves out from the rainforest which were still lodged there. Yes, thou, Casey Cole, thou watches me, wondering, could I be like her? Admit it, this is true, is it not? Casey tried to look away from Jadith, but could not. She was transfixed. Yes, it is, she replied in a small voice. Thou, Casey Cole, Jadith whispered, eyes sweeping over her in rapt approval. Thou has it within thee to be magnificent. Already, thou could be a luscious, radiant beauty with more boys chasing thee than thou ever thought possible. Thou could be the girl that all the other girls wished they were. They would all be reduced to shadows whenever thou walked into a room. The one true glittering gem amidst the sea of common, homely little nothings. But I could show you so much more. This one could teach thee to become the woman thou hast always dreamed of becoming, with a beauty beyond what these limited mortals even dare dream to be possible. Me? Casey breathed meekly, caught off guard by this offer. Yes, thee. In fact, thou wouldst never have to ask me again. The answer would always be thee. The thought on everyone's mind would ever be thee. Casey's eyes were filled with clear longing. She whispered in a small voice, Nobody ever notices me when I walk into a room. I just stand in the corner and feel like I'm invisible. Jadis' eyes glinted. Casey! Max snapped at her. You can't! You know what she wants to do to the world! But Jadith just smiled and waved her hand, seeming to take Max's words and turn them into mist. Jadith gave a small laugh. Boys such as these, even the ones such as Max, are nothing. They are afraid what thee mightest become, Casey, and how they would feel about thee then. It is the secret fear of boys. It is why they pretend so hard that they don't care. But believe me, Casey, they do care. And when thou learnest how to use thy gifts, that is when they will become the invisible ones and long to talk to thee. 
was as if Max, Ian, and Sasha had suddenly become smaller, hardly worth noticing, and Queen Jadith and her protege, Casey, would soon depart to embark upon Casey's very promising future as Jadith's chosen princess. The world would fall in love with her, kings would court her, and wars would even be fought over her, like a modern-day Helen of Troy. And this was the moment, right now, in which it all would begin. Already, Casey was dreamy-eyed, as though in a trance. Casey, Max started again, but this time she cut him off. You don't know how hard it is, being a girl nobody likes. Casey spun and howled at him in a voice Max had never heard out of her before. Her eyes were wet with fire. You can't know. She paused and then spat icily. People are mean, Max, including me. That stung him. I'm sorry, and I really am, she said, seeing his expression. Jadith's black eyes glinted with triumph. Casey spun, gushing tears. Jadith placed her hands tenderly on Casey's shoulder and grinned broadly. Casey, Max pleaded, listen to me. Don't side with her. This is really, really wrong. I understand you're hurting and sad, but this... No, Casey screeched. You listen to me. When I told you about Sasha and how bad she was, you ignored me. I said, don't let her come with us, she's bad. But no, you decided to let her come anyway. And now look what's happened, because of what you did. Look around you. Why don't you say hi to Johnny Siren, to Jadith? We've already seen that you hand the pendant over to Jadith. So, it's done. She's won. You lost, Max. You lost. But the reason you lost is because you were mean to me. Jadith petted her head and cooed sympathetically. Well said, Casey. <laughs> well said indeed. Casey was shaking and red. This torrent of words had come suddenly roaring out of the deepest places of her soul, and even she seemed a little shocked at how vitriolic it had been. But Max hadn't given up trying to reach her just yet. Casey, listen. It was you who saved us out in the farmhouse by pulling us into that mirror. It was you who figured out we were trapped in the book the first time around, remember? And it was you who figured out that Ian was actually stuck outside the observatory with the wolves. You saved his life. Casey didn't answer. She suddenly wrapped her arms around Jadith and buried her face, sobbing into Jadith's clothes. Jadith shot a look of pure malice at Max. We cared about you, Casey. Believe me, we did. We still do. And we wouldn't have even made it this far without you. But then, Ian noticed something very curious. Johnny Siren had been watching this exchange with a look of stark horror on his face. Something about it was deeply troubling to him. He kept looking at his past self, and then at Casey, and then at his past self again. A look of disgust came over his mottled face. I don't care anymore, Max, Casey sniffed. I really don't. Jadith understands. You don't. Jadith grinned serenely and stroked Casey's head like a favorite pet. But something inside Siren was clearly breaking. The sight of his old self, and now of Casey being swept up by Jadith's words, were forcing him to see something clearly for the very first time. As unbelievable as that was, Ian was suddenly sure of it. Jadith, Siren said, his voice croaking to life. 
You don't need to do this to Casey. Leave her out of it. Jadith's eyes spun into dark pools of madness, flashed a warning. Saranus, be silent. This little one is mine to do with as I please. She's not yours, Jadith. She is... Oh, but she is. Not only is she mine because she is a black-headed one and I am her queen, but she chooses to be mine. Freely. See for thyself. And Jadith stroked Casey's hair gently now. Casey wrapped her arms around Jadith and buried her face in her cloak. Jadith cooed, now seeming perfectly sane and affectionate. She gives herself to me, just as thee did. I was never yours, Serenus growled. Oh, thou wert indeed. Thou wert always my slave. Siren glowered. He knew it was true. He could see it clearly now. His lust for eternal life had allowed Jadith to easily manipulate him from the very first moment they spoke in the Museum of Antiquities in Starland. But then, surprisingly, Siren mastered himself. He accepted this. Casey, Siren said, speaking to her directly now. All eyes spun in surprise on him. Listen to me, Casey. She's not telling you the truth. She's just using you to manipulate Max, to get the pendant. Jadis' eyes blasted pure fury. Have a care, Soranus, she said, voice shaking and dripping with hate. Dost thou forget thyself? Already thou treadest perilously close to losing thy hard-earned prize. Siren suddenly stood an inch taller than he really was. He was still wrestling with himself internally, but another look at Casey's tear-filled eyes visibly steadied him, filled him with courage. And even she was watching him now, with a guarded yet rapt attention. He completely ignored Jadith. Don't make the same mistake I made, Casey. Don't become a slave. It isn't worth it. Nothing is. How dare thou? Jadith exploded. Thy prize is forfeit! This one will not suffer insolence of this kind from a talking beast. Nay, not even from thee. Siren approached Jadith and did something completely unexpected. He smiled. I don't care. You keep it. I've done everything wrong my entire life. But this, right now, this one thing I'm doing right. And there's nothing you can do about it, Jadith. Deliberately, Siren took Casey's hand and pulled her away from Jadith. She came, astonished at him, although clearly still confused. Siren turned, and together they started walking towards Max, Ian, and Sasha. Bows twanged, knives zinged, and Jonathan Roseblood Serenus was riddled with bolts, arrows, and knives. They stuck out of him and pierced his vital organs in multiple places. He slumped to the ground. He was laughing. Even as his life ran out of him, and his laughter was no more than a wet wheezed in his collapsed lungs, it was full of clear joy. Jadith! <laughs> I am laughing! <laughs> Jadith screamed in fury. Max watched in amazement. Something deep inside of him was profoundly glad something he couldn't identify. It was like how he had felt when he had seen Petunia dying on the gurney in Starlin, 
although with Siren, he wasn't sad. He was almost giddily surprised and happy. Casey watched Siren as his breath began to fail. She didn't know what to say. It had all happened so fast and it was so confusing. She was embarrassed about taking sides with Jadith even for a moment, and it had taken Johnny Siren to bring her back to her senses. Johnny Siren, her father, at last. You did have a heart after all, Casey finally managed to whisper. Siren nodded shakily. <laughs> that would seem to be so. Thank you, Casey said. Siren laughed again and shook his head. No, thank you. And with that, he died. Casey wrenched herself away from his side and ran over to Max. Her eyes begged for forgiveness, but he nodded and smiled. All was well. She needed no forgiveness from him. He tried to let her know with his eyes that he was sorry also, and that he had heard what she had said. Casey turned now and faced Jadith with Ian, Sasha, and Max. You heard my father, Casey said. As for your gifts, you keep them. Jadith nodded. So be it, animal. Be a fool like thy father. Max was shaking, but he maintained his firm grip on the pendant. Centurions inched nearer like the closing of a noose. The rustling of their golden cloth metal armor amplified in the cavern, making Casey want to scream. Jadith took a step towards Max and said, There is no hope for thee, Max. Thou cannot escape. For a brief instant, Max considered making a dash for one of the arches, diving through into some other time, but a quick look around told him he would never make it, let alone with Casey, Ian, and Sasha in tow. Centurions blocked the way at every turn. Thou must give it to me. There is no other path open to thee. Max knew he could put the pendant on. It would be just a quick movement, a flick of the wrist. It would be on in a heartbeat, and he could command them all, and they would be compelled to obey. Even Jadith. A quick look at her eyes showed she was terrified that this was exactly what he might do. She saw that her prize hung by the thinnest of threads, the tiniest sliver. Give the pendant to me. But it would be wrong. One should never seek to own the will of another for any reason at all. There is never, never, ever a reason good enough. That was what Anki had said, and he had been adamant about it. But did he mean even in this situation? Never, never, ever a reason good enough. Where he might be able to prevent a great wrong from occurring? The centurions had crept to within an arm's reach of him. Even now, they might be able to grab him if they moved quickly enough. But they were terrified of provoking him, and then all would be lost. Max sagged. If he used the pendant, he realized he would simply set himself up at the apex of the pyramid. It made no difference, really, whether it was himself or Jadith who imposed their will on countless others. The real evil was the pyramid, the hierarchy itself. If he used the pendant, he would commit a far greater atrocity at a deeper level of being. He would become a parasite on the souls of others. This was why Enki was so insistent that he be clear on the difference between good and evil. This moment, right here, right now. Jadith was right. There was no other path open to him. He was not going to be the one to create the pyramid. 
At the very least, it would be someone else. That was the only choice that was within his power to make. The tyranny of the page is absolute. With one motion, Max stepped forward and placed the pendant into Jadith's outstretched hand and withdrew. Ian, Casey, and Sasha gasped. They had never expected him to do it. Even Jadith seemed momentarily shocked, as if even she couldn't believe it. But then her old greed and arrogance quickly took hold, and she slipped the pendant deftly over her head. It hung around her neck, a blazing argent jewel. Her eyes seemed to fill with ink, shark eyes, fathomless voids. She grinned like a maniac. Jadith raised her hand to her lips and spoke a few words into a ring she wore. Max guessed instinctively that it was a whispering stone, and Umphalos used to talk over long distances. There was a lurch of some kind, like an amusement park ride suddenly returning to motion, something palpable in the very fabric of the world. They all felt it. The pocket, Ian whispered. She started time up again. The pocket's gone. Take them, Jadith ordered with a low chuckle, and Centurions grabbed Casey, Sasha, Ian, and Max roughly and squeezed their arms. The pendant's jewel blazed to life. The Umphalos at its core was already responding to Jadith's hungry mind. Her eyes became midnight pools of wet insanity. People of the Earth, hear me! She cried now, her voice booming such that Max was sure that through some sorcery of the pendant, it was penetrating the minds of everyone on Earth. Her voice seemed to be coming from everywhere at once. I hold the pendant. Thy will is mine to command. Thee shall serve me from this moment hence. I am Queen Jadith, heir of Nibiru, thy god and rightful master. What once was is again. Ever have thine ancestors been our slaves, and thee are now again returned to our service. Now heed this command. Enter the sky chambers that are waiting for thee around the world. That is our will. Let it be done. Jadith's face shone with sheer exultation. She held her arms at her sides as she finished speaking, fingers outstretched and a clenched smile on her face. You know, Jadith, Max said suddenly, what is it with you and all these these and thous? After five years here on Earth, you'd think you'd at least have learned how to talk right by now. Jadith spun, seething, and hissed, Thee will taste my wrath, little whelp, soon enough, and then we shall see if thy tongue is as full of witticisms as it is screams for mercy. And with that, Jadith turned and walked out of the room. Centurions hauled the foursome behind her. Despite his bravado with Jadith, Max felt numb as they left the cavern. Casey, Sasha, and Ian seemed numb as well. Nobody looked at each other. Nobody said anything. He was still numb as they were gruffly loaded into the sky chambers waiting in the lagoon. Centurions took Siren's sky chamber, the Cloud Rider, and the children were loaded into Jadith's golden bell-shaped sky chamber. The nightmare had unfolded. The worst possible scenario had come true. This isn't happening. This can't be happening. Can't be. Isn't. But it was. Every passing moment was a new stab of reality, 
another jolt to the brain. Jadith had the foursome escorted to the bridge with her, evidently so they could witness her triumph firsthand. She glanced over at them and gave a small half-smile, clearly savoring the deepening shades of their rare and exquisite horror. When the sky chambers broke the surface of the Lakshi Isle, Max saw that the pocket had indeed been dissolved. Time flowed normally again. Water splashed in plumes around the craft as they ascended to the surface of the lock. Wind rustled the trees along the shores. As they approached New York, Jadith pointed to the sky with a cry of delight. Involuntarily, Max looked. The eclipse it was actually finishing. Already the moon had traversed such that only a small half-circle of black obscured the last third of the sun. The first daylight in five years spilled into the city below. Max could see masses of people on the ground, hundreds of thousands at least, crowding around sky chambers, walking in zombie hordes up ramps and into the crafts. At first he thought the ships could not possibly hold so many people, but then he remembered that sky chambers were bigger on the inside than on the outside. The buildings of New York were emptying out. All the streets were mobbed, jammed as though there were a march or a marathon. But there was no protest. Free will had been obliterated, consumed. Only the will of Jadith remained. They had failed Enki. His trust in them had been completely in vain. Now that Jadith had the pendant, and truly was Queen of Nibiru, the Centurions were absolutely terrified of her. The people of the world were being loaded into sky chambers with a wicked efficiency. Jadith's sky chamber didn't land. It simply circled, enabled her to survey the scene from above. It felt like the world was ending. Everyone was mindlessly abandoning whatever it was they had been doing the moment the pocket had hit to fulfill Jadith's command. Workmen dropped their tools and left them where they lay. Truck drivers simply stopped in the road and climbed down from their vehicles. Mothers making dinner turned from their simmering food, not even bothering to turn the stove off, and walked outside. Kids playing dropped their toys and looked for the nearest sky chamber. Presumably, the scene was the same the world over. Jadith turned to study the four children with glee on her face at their misery. None of them felt much like saying anything. Lock them in a cell down below, Jadith said with a giggle. I have other matters to attend to now, but don't worry. And here she looked pointedly at the children. I shall visit thee soon enough. The centurions gripped the children again and hauled them down into the bowels of the sky chamber. In the cell of Jadith's ship, Max, Sasha, Ian, and Casey all sat against the wall, thoroughly and completely depressed. Max broke the silence. All right. All right. I don't know what to say. I could have used it. I know I could have. But it would have been wrong. Enki went to a lot of trouble to get us to understand that. Well, Ian said, at least we know once and for all that you're not really a sleeper agent. If you had been, that was the moment right there when you should have slipped back into your old skin. I don't blame you, Max, Sasha said. It wasn't your fault. You did the best you could. Casey, Max asked, what do you think? She smiled at him. Max was shocked for a moment. You did the right thing. You could have become like her, but you didn't. 
Hey, Max said suddenly. You never told us you were Siren's daughter. Casey shrank with embarrassment. I know. I'm sorry. I should have. I was just afraid you wouldn't like me anymore if you knew. I mean, it was Johnny Siren. Max actually laughed out loud. That's okay, Casey. We would have liked you just the same. I know, she replied. But I wish I could see my mommy again, though. I guess Jadith probably isn't going to let me. I wish there had been some other way, Max said softly to her. I really, really do. The sound of a cell phone ringing suddenly broke the silence, startling them all. It was a Beepotronic ringtone rendition of a Planet Furious song. The shrill monophonic notes sliced through the air. It was coming from Max's backpack. The foursome all looked at each other in bafflement. Completely mystified, Max dug around inside and tried to find the phone. Who in the world could that be? Ian asked. No idea, Max said, fumbling to answer. Hello? You four look like you could use some ice cream, a familiar voice said. Anki! Max cried in amazement. But how? Did I get your number? Well, you're using Casey's mom's phone right now, and I happen to have that particular number in my speed dial. No, I mean, I know what you mean. How is everyone? Still in one piece after everything? Well, yeah, but we're, we're not feeling so good. You, you know what's going on, right? Of course I do. Look behind you. Anki, the old Anki, the one with the flowing white beard from the book, was inexplicably standing behind them, holding a tub of ice cream, four bowls and spoons. He was smiling mischievously. They all jumped to their feet. Here, pass around the bowls. You've earned it. That and then some. He started opening the tub and getting the ice cream scooper ready. The children took the bowls and started passing them around, mystified. Why on earth was Anki so happy? What the hell was going on? Anki? Max started, embarrassed. I... How did he tell him that he blew it? That he'd fumbled the pendant to Jadith? You were wonderful! Splendid! Magnificent! Anki grabbed Max by the cheeks. Better than I dared hope. Here, have some ice cream. Max looked at him with utter astonishment. But Jadith has the pendant. You know that, right? I gave it to her. She's using it right now on everyone on Earth. Yes, Anki screamed. I know! <laughs> it's wonderful. Spectacular. You're to be congratulated, all of you. Anki started dancing a jig and laughing like a madman. The children all looked at each other, stupefied. Now, little Ian, I must say, you are missing something quite amazingly obvious right now. Isn't something odd happening here? Something you can't explain? Something that shouldn't be happening? Yeah, you're doing a jig, Ian replied, moping. No, come on, think. Casey's eyes lit up. Wait a minute. Anki can't leave his book. So how is he here, with us right now, in a sky chamber above New York in the real world? Keep going, Anki shouted, laughing hysterically now. Oh, you still haven't figured it out yet, but you're so close. You're very close. Oh, you're going to be so surprised. Anki clapped his hands like a little kid trying to contain his joy. You're out here... Ian was muttering, his brain smoking, trying to figure it out. You're out here in the real world, but you can't leave the confines of a book. Or, or 
Or? Yes, Anki egged him on. Oh, we're in a book. We actually never left the Pyramid of the Arches. We're still inside of it. Ian almost howled. Pingo, Anki screamed. I don't understand, Max said, confused by Ian's excitement. Me neither, Sasha said. Oh, 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 Ian was jumping up and down. This is really, really, really good news. Anki tricked Jadith, and we helped him do it. Ian sounded as mad as Anki, but Anki was clapping his hands. <laughs> yes, Ian understands now. The whole thing was a trap, Ian continued. Jadith's still inside the book, and she has no idea. She only thinks she's out in the real world. Suddenly, Max thought he understood, but he hardly dared to hope he was right. His eyes bugged. So, so, so none of this is real? Max shouted. Jadith isn't taking over the world with the pendant right now? No, Anki threw back his head, laughing wildly. We're still inside of a book right now? Yes. This isn't real? No. Max suddenly bent over and was hyperventilating. Ian put an arm over him, as did Casey. Huh, Ian said. I think he's taken this west than when he thought he screwed the whole world. Sasha and Casey were laughing giddily. No, oh, let's do get out of here. Jadith's cell is simply no place for a celebration. What do you say? Anki laughed and then waved his arms. Suddenly, they were all back in the chamber in the Pyramid of the Arches. You're listening to The Pocket and the Pendant by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Michael and Evo's Dragon Page and Podiobooks.com. The full book is available in Podiobook format at Podiobooks.com. The full print version is available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Lulu.com, or from the book's website and blog at www.pocketandpendant.com 